would say almost everything we do in property management is a repeatable action that although it may appear new and like this is the first time it's ever happened, fortunately, it's most likely going to happen again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you can pretty much create a standardized way of doing it each time. And then that way you're set up for success better in the future. Innovation is one of our core values. So we're consistently updating our processes, our policies, starting new stuff, like our most successful year of project initiatives. Like we had never until that point gotten so much done, you know, felt like we had made huge leaps and bounds. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I am interviewing Taylor Hollis. Taylor, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Taylor, I'm excited to hear a little bit more about your journey. I know that we've spoken previously on the show. Uh, and today, I think I want to talk a little bit about the transition and the growth in your leadership from going from starting as a receptionist to fast forward to today. What is your current role at the company? Current role, I am director of operations. So I oversee the entire property management team, as well as some oversight to our business development team. Mm. So, and and what roles have you done in the area? What seats have you held? Yeah, so obviously started as answering the phones. I did a lot of filing. Um, then I moved to a leasing coordinator type role. So I processed applications. I pushed out leases renewals, that kind of thing. Then I moved into being a business development manager. And then after that, I started taking on more and more responsibilities and then kind of officially got moved to overseeing the whole picture. So your dad started the business. And I think of you as being emblematic of somebody that is really trying to earn the accretion of power in the business as opposed to defaulting to title, nepotism, etc. What what does it mean to you to to earn it and to not just get given it or some benefit of your status? Yeah, absolutely. I had to work like really hard for the respect of working with my parents. Um, even for my own family, my dad's brothers would be like, "You took the easy way out." I'm like, "How do you find my dad?" <laughs> um, so I had to work really hard. I start started at the bottom. I wasn't given any you know special privileges or you know a cushy role. I really had to kind of grind it out and learn and move up naturally, just like any other employee. And being in a family-run business, there are, you know, the ones where you get all the special treatment and it seems really easy. And then there's the other side where you're working longer and harder than anyone. You take the brunt of everything. Like even now when Miles upset about something, like we'll have a really intense meeting about it. We'll get it all off his chest. And I'm like, okay, Steph, this is what we're going to do versus back in the day, you know, allow it get frustrated and rip everyone apart. <laughs> so we kind of swapped those roles, but no, definitely no nepotism for sure. And anyone on our team would also say that as well. A lot of people that meet us don't think that there is any sort of, you know, special treatment or anything like that day to day. Mm. So this is the only property management business you work in, correct? I, in college, I did off-campus student housing. Okay. So I did multifamily for students for three years. 
One of the things that I think about the business that you're in is that it's a really fantastic shop. In fact, I experience it as one of the best shops that I've worked with. I'm not just saying that because we're here. It really stands out to me as a an example of um, growth, profitability, and sustainability. And I'm not going to pretend that I understand everything that's driving that. You know, I'm close enough to see that it's special. I'm far enough to not really understand the guts of it. What is your perspective on why the operation is able to be as successful as it is? I think it has to do with my parents created the business to be a business. It wasn't something that they decided to do on the side. So my dad has always gone into it with, you know, a professional mindset of what's next. So coming into the business, I wasn't coming in to have a job. I was coming in because I wanted to be a future owner of this business and run it. As a kid, I always wanted to be a big shot. Um, I didn't really want to work for anyone, wanted to be the boss, mm. always took leadership roles in that sense. Um, so coming into the business, like the only reason I was going to get involved is if there, if there was still the opportunity for me to have that like big career and growth for me professionally. Mm. Where does that come from, that drive? Gosh, probably my parents. My parents always raised me to be super independent, to you know, be confident and do what I want and don't take any, you know, feedback otherwise and just make it happen. So what's it like, what's an example of that? Was that like explicitly articulated and verbalized? Oh, yes. My parents absolutely instilled confidence in everything I do, you know, pushing me out of my comfort zone when I was younger. I did a lot of uh, sports when I was younger that was very like individual. I did gymnastics. I did horseback riding. I was on student council. I was all kinds of different things growing up that were like leadership type roles for that. Mm, so you, your identity was aligned with what you're doing now from an early age. Yes. Got it. So in terms of your role currently in overseeing over the business, what keeps you busy day to day? Where is your time going? A lot of my time goes into helping our staff. Um, I do a lot of escalated issues and complaints and coaching. So a lot of that goes into like investigation of what's going on within the team, why something happened, and then building the team up to be able to solve it themselves or of course getting involved. So I do a lot of that. And then the other coin or other part of the coin that I do um, is a lot of innovation. Innovation is one of our core values. So we're consistently updating our processes, our policies, starting new stuff. So just change. Hmm. You mentioned processes, policies. I think about the framework of values, policy, process, task. You have to get the stuff on the higher end of the ladder straightened and that will flow downward. A bad set of um, processes will be materially benefited by a good policy, but the inverse is not necessarily true. A bad set of um, a, a bad set of policies cannot be fixed with really great processes. When you think about like the policy framework, what are some policies that feel like the bedrock of what allows you guys to operate efficiently and effectively? Policies, I would say communication for us is a huge thing. We we talk a lot in our business about empathy. It's like having empathy for the tenant, having empathy for the owner, because how can you encourage them to do something or want them to do something if you can't stand in their shoes. So a lot of what we do is making sure that we are being sensitive to kind of both types of client that we work with and customer. Um, 
And then really making sure that we are looking out for liability, um, being in a very regulated industry. We want to make sure that we are, you know, not breaking any laws, not doing anything that's against fair housing, unethical, <laughs> things like that. What's an example of a, a policy decision that you guys have made that may preclude you from certain latitude or certain things that owners want you to do or working with certain owners, but that appropriately hedges the liability and risk that you're trying to maintain? I would say policies that we've implemented to kind of mitigate those potential issues is we have a rigid communication policy. We get back to all owners and tenants within 24 hours, some of which is required by our, our state for things like warrant of habitability. Um, but we also are huge documenters. Anytime we have a conversation, we document it. If someone has a phone call that's maybe intense, we follow up and, you know, as we discussed over the phone, that way we're not playing any he said, she said type games. We've got it all laid out. <laughs> per my previous email. Yes. Okay, got it. So where, where does all that documentation live? Uh, it really lives in our property management software as well as um, our CRM and processes. Whenever a conversation is had regarding a certain process, that's logged in that process. So if we have to go back, we can revert back to it. Got it. Okay. And so in terms of how your processes are structured, you were an early adopter of Fleet Civil. I mean, it, it was like really, really early that you adopted it. At that point in time, the product was rougher than it is now, but you guys got in there, tooled around, made it work for you. Do you consider yourself a systems thinker or is that more of like a learned behavior for you? Definitely a systems thinker, for sure. As a kid, my parents always joked that I was like a natural problem solver. <laughs> so I very much know when an issue comes up, like a path to get to the solution. And then like for us, I think it's fun to create like the processes and the checklist to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So that's nerdy, but fun for me. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So then how do you interact with the uh, your, your feedback from your staff about it? If a staff member comes to you and says, I don't want to use lead sample or this process is no good, et cetera. Obviously you can just take the compliance approach of like, well, if you want to work here, then you will. But beyond that, how do you take that feedback and try and do something useful with it? Yeah. Anytime somebody has a feedback on a process that's not working, like right away, I'll schedule a meeting and we'll go over it. I think whenever someone brings up a concern, it just makes more sense to take care of it. So it's easier for them since they're the ones that are doing it day in and day out. At this point in our company, we don't really have any pushback as far as using our processes. When we early adopted it for sure. We had a lot of long-term employees that were used to the old way, um, but we very much graduated from that part. And with any employee that joins our team, day one, we start doing lead simple training videos and it's just a way of life. So there's no other option. And how much do your processes change? Let's say take something core, like let's say a lease renewal process. How often, given that you've beat on it and had a lot of reps, now how often are you making changes or adjustments? I'd say... Probably six times a year at least. Okay, got it. Every other month there's a there's a change to be made. Yes. A tweak. Every quarter we audit every single process anyway. What is that what does the process of auditing your processes look like? Yes. So the department or individuals that that process revolves around, we have a meeting and we sit through and we literally go step by step. We review every text, every email template just to make sure that it's still how the staff is currently doing it, you know, no legislation has changed it or anything like that. And as things change, steps become redundant, we delete things. So we just want to make sure that we're not, you know, over automating communication where it feels robotic mm. or 
of course, just creating busy work so people go in and delete it or end up just doing something entirely different anyway. Got it. I love that. So you're not taking a top-down approach. You're really giving people the opportunity to speak into it. Like, if it's broken, we hear you, we want to make adjustments, et cetera. Yes. Awesome. So in terms of the the edge cases, exceptions, the things that processes can't cover, people vary between having really literal, explicit, wooden processes, like a heavy degree of documentation versus something that's so light that maybe it just like borders on a digital checklist. Where do you kind of fit in that nexus? 90% of what we do is process. Um, I would say almost everything we do in property management is a repeatable action that, although it may appear new and like this is the first time it's ever happened, fortunately, it's most likely going to happen again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you can pretty much create a standardized way of doing it each time. And then that way you're set up for success better in the future. Um, For that other percentage of stuff that's one off, every department in our company has a playbook. Um, We went through the playbook process with rent scale. And so that kind of opened our eyes to maybe we should have a playbook for every position in our company. So if it's something that's kind of one off like that, we'll just have a little written instruction in the playbook that will then help kind of people get along and on their way. Talk to me about performance reviews with staff. How frequently do you give people formally documented feedback? Every quarter. Every quarter, every 90 days. That's what we do as well. What does that conversation look like? Yeah, so we use a report that we go through and score the staff member based off of their alignment with our culture, our core values, vision and mission, um, job knowledge, team cohesiveness. Mm -hmm. And then based on that score, every employee has to score at least 80%. If we have anybody that's less than that, then it's not as fun conversation. But we meet with everyone, we go through our feedback on those numbers, ask if they think that they should have a different score, and then talk about kind of areas for improvement and an improvement plan. So when we get to the next quarter, we can kind of look back and see how we grew from that previous quarterly review. How do you handle the more difficult conversations where there's non-compliance, non-performance, et cetera? Yeah, usually it's a really unfun conversation. I think the hardest part sometimes when you are a leader in your company is when you like are friends with your staff members because Mm -hmm. you care about them as a person, but Mm -hmm. then when they let you down in work, it's like always super awkward. Um, So usually it's just being super honest and straightforward and very explicit on what I'm looking for for them to improve because we want them there, but they have to show that they deserve to be there. Deserve to be there. That's interesting language. My experience is that most businesses orient either more towards being a family or more towards a sports team. Where do you guys fall on that metaphor? I would probably say more of a family. We talk about all day long about how we are a big family. We care about each other. Um, There's definitely drama that is similar to a family where people get annoyed with each other. And then we move on from that. So probably closer to a family, yes. Mm. So the tenure, average tenure of your staff right now, what, what would you say to this ballpark? Around three years. Okay, got it. Mm. Mm. Okay. And the business has been around for how long? 17. That's a good long stretch. 17 years in business, but average tenure of three years. So folks are more more recent. The market dynamics that are playing out in your market right now, obviously macro level, uh, interest rates, housing, there's the softening in the rental market right now. What's playing out and how is that impacting your business? 
we're definitely feeling the market and how it's affecting our business. For starters, our conversions this year for new business is much lower than we expected. Uh, so we had to readjust our goals. The, the conversion rate or the volume of deals? Conversion rate. Conversion rate has gone down. Well, okay. We're still receiving the same amount of leads as we were before, but a lot of those leads are becoming a like nurture lead versus being like in a 90-day closing window, which we would experience before. Got it. So the actual conversion rate is going down. Wow, how interesting. So we still, as a team, we have a great conversion rate. Our BDMs are converting at 37%. It's just that the amount of leads that they have to convert is a lot less than it was before because people aren't really serious about making a change. We're having a lot of conversations on rent versus selling or I'm going to wait until next year. Hopefully it gets better and then I'll decide. So a lot of just kind of pausing. Okay, got it. And then what about on the churn dynamics and what's driving that? Churn dynamic, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but we haven't netted a very large amount of new doors versus ones going out the out the back end. Um, but a lot of our clients are moving back into their properties. We've had several people take their properties off the market or take their properties out of the portfolio to sell. Not a lot of success has been happening in that. Our real estate agents' numbers are also down as well. So we're kind of seeing it on all all sides. How would you describe your leadership style? I am very much, I would say, a nurturing friend, which is not always great, but I very much try and connect with the staff, know them personally, um, share my struggles with them, work through situations. I'm not a, I'm going to tell you what to do and this is what you need to do. I'll essentially present three options and then you can kind of tell me what you think is best. And usually people enjoy that because they feel like they're involved in the solutions versus being micromanaged and things like that. Mm. That nurturing dynamic, um, I think about the connection that I have with my staff and it gives me a lot of joy, a lot of meaning, a lot of purpose. And I find that it's a prerequisite for the best, highest levels of performance, i.e. when I go to a transactional place with folks, it's not great. They mm-hmm. pick it up. They know it's dollar in, dollar out, doggy, eat dog. And yeah. when I sit, come from that relational place of care, not only does it feel better, but the performance goes up. So even though it can cost me something personally to get close to someone, to have performance shift and then to have a, an adverse outcome, I find that that's the price that I'm willing to pay in order to get the level of connection and meaning that I want out of business. I'm curious for you, if you think about what you're getting out of business that is non-monetary in nature, what comes to mind? I would definitely say the relationships and personal growth with the relationships, I mean, although our average employees there are three years, we have people that have been there over five. And those are people that, gosh, I knew them when they were 17 years old, when they started showing properties for us, you know, and now they're married. So that kind of is fun to see them grow. That really, you know, brings me joy to watch this person that I've seen grow up and become who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I think everybody says that people don't quit jobs, they quit managers, and I never want someone to quit a job because of me. Like, I want to know that I gave them everything they could have to be successful. Mm -hmm. 
I've coached girls high school volleyball for the last 10 years. And so sports for me is very big, which is funny because your question was family versus sports earlier, but sports is huge. Everything that they coach us on and tell us on as coaches is you never want to be a player's last coach. So I take that kind of mentality Mm -hmm. of like inspiring of what I do with kids to my staff because it's very similar. You're kind of encouraging them to be their best self and drive the team forward and things like that. Now, the flip side of that uh, of care is performance. How do you keep people focused on performance and making sure that they're really like invested in the outcome? Yeah, I think... I think it's really just, it's part of our culture. Uh, And by doing that, of keeping people towards the same direction and having care is just that it is from top down of having care. You know, Lyle and Paula care very much. I care very much. We always instill if somebody makes a a mistake of like learning about that and why that was bad, not just like if you do that again, you're going to be fired. Mm -hmm. Um, And then empathy, kind of like I touched on earlier, empathy is one of our core values. So we very much want to make sure that people are there because they care about what we do and they have this career, not just a job where they clock in at nine and out at five and call it a day, but are very much there for like the success of the whole thing. Mm. Pulling in the same direction. What are your aspirations for the business? You're young, you have a lot of years ahead of you for a career here. What are your hopes and dreams in terms of what you hope to see play out? Yeah, so I definitely want to own the business um, one day and take over fully from my mom and dad. My mom is definitely farther out the door than my dad is. The business is, of course, his baby and he's holding on very tight. (laughs) So, you know, if it was me, I'd say like two years, but according to Lyle, it's like 10. Just um, in case you're listening, Lyle. Yeah. So somewhere between those two time frames, um, that would be the goal. But <laughs> Got it. Okay. So you take over. I mean, that seems like an, an inevitability from where I said you're competent, you're sharp, the operation's going well, and just the simple passage of time, it will happen eventually. And right. and, and then what? From that point on... Um, Obviously, I assume you don't want to change everything all at once, but what might it look like and what has it looked like to have your own unique thumbprint uh, on the business? I'm very lucky in that pretty much anything I want to do, we just do it. Um, So I'd say I already am in a position where my thumbprint is very much imprinted on every process, Mm -hmm. you know, company culture, staff members and things like that. I'd say... I think continuing to grow is definitely in the future, for sure, as far as door counts. You know, we're considerably large right now, and with every next level of growth, you know, new challenges arise. And so I'm not quite sure what is the ultimate end number, Mm -hmm. um, but staying a considerable size and um, successful at that and it's also a great industry and I've had so many friends and stuff here so I definitely want to stay involved and things like that what do you make up about how one how big one company could get in your market like how big I think one could get yeah like are, are you who, who's the biggest company are you guys the largest company in your market or do you know offhand um no I think <clears throat> key renter is definitely bigger than us um and then we have a few of the franchises in our market, so their specific company isn't the biggest one out of all of the franchisees, but I would say most likely, um, I think Brandon is the biggest one. And how big do you think one company could get in the Denver metro market? 
Oh gosh. Um, I mean, it's just made up. But what's your what's your gut gut sense? Yes, I would say. I don't know. I would say very large. I know when we talk to like Brandon and Mark on how they're doing, they're talking about how many leads they're getting and they're having a great year. <laughs> We're having the same conversation on our side of things. So, I mean, just to throw a random number out there, probably maybe 5,000 doors or so. 5,000 units. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> 5,000 units. That would be pretty big, Taylor, in one market. I can think of multiple operators at that size, but I can only think of one operator at that size in one market, and they're no longer that big. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's that would be some big level of aspiration. Obviously, it's not just about growth. It's about the enjoyment and the ride. Talk to me about quality of life, boundaries and managing your ambition with your desire to actually have a great life that isn't governed explicitly by work. Yes, I would say work-life balance is huge for me. Growing up in the business, I saw a lot of the toll that it took on our family and my parents always remind me, which I even forget about now, but that they were saying that, I hate your business. I never want to do that. <laughs> Stuff like that. Because you viewed it as like the thing that yes. was responsible for taking them away. Mm. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, so I think for me, I definitely want to make sure that, you know, I my kids hopefully don't have that same opinion of how busy I am. Um, I don't want to be viewed as that I work all the time or I'm super busy. I want people to know that, you know, I'm super successful, but I have a ton of fun outside of work and I, you know, don't pass any opportunities up. That's something that me and my fiance do now is whenever a friend reaches out and is like, hey, you guys want to use that? Do this. We are yes people. We make it happen no matter what. So I would say no matter how much the company grows or my position continues to grow, I wouldn't want to change that about myself. Um, And I don't want to be a slave to the job. I think eventually when you become a slave to the job, you start to resent it Mm -hmm. and it's not as enjoyable. And I enjoy what I do and can see myself enjoying it for some time. So I wouldn't want that to change. What are some current projects or initiatives that are on the horizon for you to work on over the next year? Yeah, a big one for us is we are putting together flowcharts to accompany every process. So the one thing right now with our processes is a task will pop up for someone and they do their task. But what we've noticed is there's not always a big comprehension of the process as a whole and how it interacts and which different people are involved. So we're going to be putting together flowcharts that show kind of start to finish who's involved and what departments it touches on. Um, and then the other thing that we're working on is SLAs, so service level agreements. So just that consistency that every person is doing it the exact same way every single time. So we're going to be working on that as well. What's one big breakthrough moment that you could think of of like a previous initiative that you implemented and just had like kind of a disproportionately positive impact? I'd say processes in general. We did start creating processes long time ago, so we've been doing that forever. But I, but I think the biggest breakthrough is how easy it is to implement them and the impact that they have. I know when people ask me like, "How long did it get you to? How long did it take for you to get your everything set up in your account?" And you know, what pushback did you have? 
I like don't really remember that side of thing because now it's just like second nature. We just go in and make it happen. So anything that is continuous or a habitual action, we just implement into a process right away. And it could be like an HR type process. It could be an operational process. It could be our quarterly reviews are a process. So I think that's made the biggest impact. Um, and then another thing that we've started recently is we've been doing interdepartment coaching. So every Thursday, two team members are assigned to present on a topic of whether it's like how to process a security deposit disposition or it's how to screen an application so that that way everybody in the company understands what everybody else is doing and has that kind of cross training, cross knowledge. As we've grown, we've noticed that as we've broken things out more and more by department is that people don't communicate with other departments very well and it becomes almost too siloed into somebody only understanding their their vision or their portion of the puzzle. So we're trying very much to increase that kind of cross knowledge and comprehension as a whole. How do you handle your vendor relationships and make sure that those stay strong and that they're not just good at one point in time, but that they stay good? Because on occasion, good relationships do deteriorate. Yes. And are you referring to vendors for the company uh, or maintenance? Maintenance. Okay. Yeah. So with maintenance vendors, we are always adding new vendors to our portfolio as like backup vendors we let them know you know we have a wait list we're of course happy to bring you on and if we have any vendors that really aren't kind of meeting the status quo and expectations our maintenance manager will actually meet with them walk them through what's going on and just like an employee try and give them the opportunity to improve um Vendors are so hard to come by um, that we very much try and keep vendors and nurture them so that they can work with us. And if it doesn't work out, we know we at least gave every opportunity we could. But those are absolute conversations that happen um, and that our maintenance team does primarily. What do you do on your side to keep the great vendors that you want to keep working with? Yes. I w we don't do anything super special besides continuing to give them work <laughs> and thank timely you payment. Yes, timely payment. Yes, giving them lots of work, timely payment information. Um, <clears throat> and then also our maintenance team is super appreciative of them. So they're always consistently thanking them. We send out thank you cards and things like that. Well, do you have any sense of what kind of work order volume you send out annually? Oh, gosh. Um I'm putting you on the spot here. I think last year we had around 1,100 work orders. Oh, okay. And what do you think the average dollar value per work order was? A couple hundred bucks? Probably at least, yeah, maybe around 300. Are you guys doing maintenance markup? We are not, no. Mm. Over the last 17 years, did you guys ever dabble with fully bringing maintenance in-house and having techs and trucks and the whole thing? Uh, yes. In 2015, Lyle created a business called Make Ready Property Services. <laughs> we had one employee um, and it just became almost too much. It was a lot of coordination for, and at the time Lyle was coordinating it with this individual all on his own. So it became a lot. Um, there were certain times where he didn't have enough to do. So then we were like trying to create stuff for him to do. So it just didn't really work for us. It was not our specialty. <laughs> it's not the first time that I've heard that. Yeah. I mean, it seems really lucrative and excited. You just said 1,100 work orders. 
it's a it's a large amount of money, which makes it yes. an attractive target. But the logistics of it are obviously different than day to day PM. Working with your dad, I want to hear a little bit more about that. He's driven. I mean, I know Lyle. I've had a lot of conversations. I see him as being um, very intrinsically motivated. He's just like, he's really into making sure that he's improving and growing and the business is staying. Vigilant is the word that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. I experience him like vigilant, like he's very attentive to detail. And I can relate to that in the sense that I don't want to micromanage. What I actually want is to exhale. But in many cases, for me, the ability to feel comfortable exhaling is a function of having confidence. And that confidence comes from ongoing oversight that results in check, check, check. Okay, okay, okay. Check, check, check. Everything's fine yet again. And eventually you're like, well, things are probably okay. Whereas by contrast, if four out of the last times that I just spot checked, there was actually something to correct and change, it, it's an incentive to continue to kind of see and micromanage, not micromanage, but to continue to assess quality rather than fully letting go. When you think about what um, your experience of growing up with an entrepreneurial dad has been like, what kind of empathy has it given you for what it's like to be an entrepreneur and to both be driven to greatness by having that push, but also... I mean, I'll just speak for myself, kind of tortured by that ambition as well. What, what was that experience? What emotion comes up for you there? I would definitely say that Lyle has been vigilant in his pursuits. We call him a serial entrepreneur. He's had several businesses um, over the years that he has started. They've been super successful, and then he's eventually gotten out of those. I think with growing up with an entrepreneur, the term that comes to mind is never enough. Like mm -hmm. Lyle is always consistently thinking about like, what's next? Okay, I just had this great idea. I don't want anybody else to have this idea. So like, let's make this happen. Um, so I think that's a big one for sure. I also think with Lyle, the, the business is his baby and he got it to a certain point and it's his, you know, success. It's all of that, that I think for him, sometimes there's fear, right? He mm -hmm. wants to make sure that it doesn't, you know, go south, nothing happens. He's had businesses before that have not ended on great terms. So there's that little bit of fear there. Mm -hmm. um, but I would definitely say never enough. He is always thinking of new ideas. We expanded into a new market um, and he just comes up with this and we implement it and we make it happen. And he'll come up with other ideas that we'll either shoot down or <laughs> talk to him about next steps. And what kind of pressure do you feel from the expectations that flow out of that, I look at this business and I say, this is a highly sellable business. This is a business that a number of requires would love to snatch up and roll into their portfolio. And that's obviously not what's happening and that's not the plan. Does that create some pressure for you to feel like that you really want to kill it and make sure that you're actually showing and demonstrating that this business is being led to its highest and best use? I think for me, exhausting sometimes <laughs> yeah tell me more um lyle will have this great idea and he's so excited about it so you feel terrible just like shooting it down dismissing yes but he'll have this great idea and i'm like 
but this works. We don't need to do that. Yes. I'm like, this is Mm. fine. Mm. Um, So sometimes exhausting. Yes, for sure. I experience it as being exhausting to have the ideas, (laughs) believe it or not. I have these ideas and I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I email myself Mm. my ideas and I find at times that I dread the cleanup duty to go into my bag of ideas and to have to, what was I saying there? What exactly was that? You know, I'll take them, copy and paste into my task list and try and organize it. And so like just keeping up with my own brain can be a lot at times. And, um, for me, it's harder to get quiet. It's hard to be silent. It's hard not to stay constantly stimulated, which means that it's easy for me to conflate activity and stimulation with progress. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily the same thing. If, if anything, I get, I, I find like some safety and some comfort in just like staying on the you know, I'm thinking of a stationary bike, like the stationary bike of just like manically running through my own thought cycles, right. et cetera. Um, it's hard to turn it off and there's so much gift in it, but there's also some heaviness as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's what it is to be human. Oh, yes. I would agree with that. I think Lyle is always thinking, always questioning. Um, he definitely has a lot harder time of shutting off like the work brain than mm-hmm. I do. Um, so he'll, you know, bring something up and I'll be like, whoa, 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 we're not talking about it. You gotta save that for another time. <laughs> Do you have to, like, how does that work in terms of like saying like, hey, this is family dynamic versus work. Do you, yes. any, are there any like code words? How exactly do you, I could totally see that that would be hard to turn off. And I, I think about that. I have three little girls. I would be so excited if any of them wanted to be an entrepreneur. I do not want to put the pressure on them that this is what you have to do. Or if you really want a dad to love you the most, you would be a really successful business person. That's complete bullshit. I don't want to be doing that. But boy, if one of them did, you know, <laughs> that'd be pretty exciting. And I would imagine that actually would be hard to like kind of have the boundaries of like it's Christmas Day. So it would not be appropriate yes. to have an hour long conversation about work while one of the grandkids is opening up presents. Hmm. I'm I'm having like a little window into <laughs> the tension there, but yeah, I mean, I, it's yes. palpable in my own imaginary thought processes 20 years from now. So I can only imagine it's like there. How do you, how do you navigate that? Yes. My, luckily Lyle never pushed any business onto me. It was all self-discovery. Was yes. I decided. Oh. So even when I went to college initially, I went into the school of arts and sciences Arts and sciences, one more time. Arts and sciences. Oh, I saw you said arts and sciences. <laughs> uh, arts and sciences. Okay. Yes. What, did, what did what did you do at the University of oh, just University of Arts and Sciences? Literally was there. My dad was like, you're going to college. No clue what I want to study. So I was just in school, you know, doing all the, the prerequisites. Um, was that just like life? I'm so curious now. Was that just like life experience? or what It's like it's a history uh um, doctors and biology type stuff it's like the the preschooling you do before you go do something else but it's where a lot of kids go when they don't really have a direction got it okay (laughs) they're just kind of figuring it out exactly so I did that for two years and then after the second year I was like hmm 
I think you should probably go into the business school because that's just more me, you know? Uh-huh. I want to be a badass, yeah. basically. Mm. And my dad was like, yep, I knew that was going to be the case. I'm like, why didn't you say anything? I just spent two years doing nothing. And he was like, oh, no, I was not going to push you to do that. That was all going to be self-discovery, mm. you know? Mm. So he was he was good about good that. Good for but. him. I'm <laughs> yes. sure he wanted it, but good Good yes. for him. Yeah. I'm sure it took all he had not to to say anything. Not but... to overly manage the situation. <laughs> yes. And then to your question earlier, we do have a code word in our family if business starts to take over. Mm. <laughs> it's pineapple. Mm. Um, and so, yes, if it starts to get too heated or you just really don't want to talk about it, pineapple just shuts <laughs> the whole thing down. Um, and or Lyle will sometimes come up with me something and I'll be like, that's a great conversation to have a meeting about. <laughs> so, you know, pushing along. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, your staff situation right now, how, how many heads do you have stateside in office? Uh, stateside, we have about probably 14. And they're all in office? Uh, we're hybrid. So some people will come in if they want to, but otherwise everyone can work from home. We have only like four people that come in. Only four people. Okay. So what are your convictions about that? And how has that shifted over time? I, so working from home, loved it. It was great initially. Then I got real bored. I'd like see all my chores I had to do and go stir crazy. So I personally like to go into the office. Um, I think our staff is a lot happier having the flexibility as well because we have a few people that come in consistency consistently. They like like the camaraderie in the office and to be there. And then other people, you know, I haven't seen in person for, you know, three months or so. Um, but I think for the staff, just the flexibility to do either has been really important. We tr- we still do a lot of like virtual team events so that our culture doesn't suffer, where people still know each other and are meeting whether they're stateside or you know out of country. If, kind of keeping that cohesiveness with the group. Tell me, what do you do for those virtual events? Yeah, so uh, we do <clears throat> coffee chats. We will meet for 15 minutes, and there's a segue topics that's been pre-picked, so people will kind of share whatever it relates to. Um, we just recently started doing these events through the company Weave, W-E-V-E. Okay. And so it's trivia. We did a murder mystery party. So they're just kind of these, you know, fun kind of dorky thing that we go through that's totally different from work, totally different from like, so tell me what your stucks are this week. You know, it's mm-hmm. just separate so that people aren't feeling, you know, smothered. How do you handle the integration of team members that are remote enough to never come into the office, whether that's stateside or global? So we do what's a little bit different as our entire team is on Zoom. 40 hours a week. So we, no matter what, people show up on the Zoom to work. They're a part of the Zoom office that we have going on. So remote team members that are new to the company, they don't essentially work from home, kind of do their thing. We have a weekly meeting and check-in. They're just automatically thrown into it. And we very much advertise that in advance through the hiring process. So no one's, you know, caught off guard from being on camera for 40 hours. But it's just what we do and explain the benefits of it. And some people definitely don't like it. Um, <laughs> but it's it works for us. Okay. Tell me more. That is fairly <laughs> opinionated. Yes. I think a lot of people think that it is strange because – they couldn't imagine themselves being on camera for 40 hours a week. 
Uh, from an employee standpoint, I think a lot of people think that you're like oversight, you know, micromanaging them a bunch. For us, it's really just team camaraderie. We're not like looking at you like, oh, you looked away for five minutes, you weren't working. It's so that you can like talk, you can chat, you can, you know, ask questions, water cooler, chat or whatever it's called, you know, still. Um, But we do have some employees that always in quarterly reviews are like, hey, do you think we could stop doing that? We're like, no, but thanks for the suggestion. (laughs) Uh, You know, you're striking a memory for me. I remember being in the office one time doing a site visit with some I think it was four or five other operators. Mm-hmm. Clint was there, some other folks. Steve Wealthy was there. And Lyle, um, he carted out like a flat screen that was on like a... The Jumbotron? Yeah, the Jumbotron. <laughs> is, so is that what you mean by like camaraderie? Is like people are... You're basically simulating people basically being in office? Yes. So we initially started with the Jumbotron. So we had one remote team member and then we had two. So we had the two of them up on the screen. They could hear everything in the office, see everyone. And then now we have adjusted where everybody just has Zoom on their screen, like individually working from home or in the office. Even if you're in the office, you're on Zoom because the people that are at home are not. So we try and make it very much all together still. Wow. So it's simulating a lie, even for the people in office, the people in office. Yes, because the people in office are working and coordinating with people that are not. So you're on Zoom. I'm on Zoom, yes. Okay. Is it one giant Zoom room? One giant Zoom room, and then we open breakout rooms. So it'll be like, maintenance team is going to go have a meeting about XYZ. Um, and then we're, we're pod structure. So we'll have two days a week. You're just sitting with your pod in a room. So it just kind of helps people, I think, not feel alone. And we're really trying to increase and encourage that, like, inter-team communication and stuff. Well, it's definitely novel and different. I'd love to pivot a little bit to talk about finance and numbers and managing the um, managing the dollars and cents that allow the business to thrive and cash flow, et cetera. What has, what's your natural orientation towards numbers? Are you numbers inclined and minded? I would say I've had to become a little bit more numbers inclined because that is huge with Lyle, obviously, as the owner. So whenever, you know, something comes up or we're talking, Lyle's like, okay, where are you going to get the money from? I'm like, oh, you mean I have to come up with that too? Uh, So a little bit, yes, but I would say that's not my like... Love language? Yes. I'm very much process-based, implementing... More along those lines. What would be an example of something like that, like where if you wanted to get the money and that feedback would come back? Um, a lot of times it comes with hiring people. I will come up with like a position we should have or team members will say, hey, we really could use some help with this. So I'll present it and it'll be like, oh, you know, so-and-so, we could probably do it for this amount per hour. And I was like, well, you're forgetting the, what is it, pseudo FICA. You're forgetting X, Y, Z. I'm like, okay you know so then it becomes a whole ordeal <laughs> um oh got it okay so I, I what i'm making up and i'm hearing you can correct me where i'm wrong i think i'm hearing that there's a desire to maintain profits rather than dip into profits every time one of these expenses comes up and you use that as kind of a forcing function like the profit will remain constant and therefore there's a need for revenue in order to offset and justify the additional expense is that what i'm hearing yes exactly Got it. Okay. So then what does your oversight and interaction with the numbers look like? Is it like a monthly accounting review? Definitely something that my parents review monthly 
my mom does all of our corporate accounting, so she puts together a P&L statement for my dad every single month, and they have a meeting about it. I've only more recently been starting to get involved in those types mm. of meetings, mm. so it is newer for mm. me. We do have like a dashboard with Profit Coach. I've been in the meetings with Profit Coach to review the numbers. You know, we've kind of talked about what we want those numbers to look like and how like my impact will have on that, but it's not as granular where I... I'm not officially in the the meeting with Got them it. just yet. Okay, so that's the bleeding edge of integration for you. <laughs> yeah, so that's what's next. Lyle always talks about what's next is the numbers. So that'll kind of be my next step on that. Is that something you're excited about or intimidated about or how are you relating to it? No, I would say excited about. You know, obviously I know what like our profit, our revenue per door is and things like that and some of the software that we spend money on. So I kind of get how it all comes together. But no, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see where that all goes and room for growth and just to get a little bit more involved. My least favorite subjects in school were finance and accounting. So that's part of the gig, right? It's challenging, but yes, <laughs> it's absolutely part of the gig. So numbers on the operational side, what are the KPIs that you're most closely paying attention to operationally? Yeah, so we're looking at days on market. We're looking at, you know, number of showings, number of applications in our leasing department. Um, in maintenance, we're looking at work orders open past eight days, work orders open past 15 days, seasonal versus just regular tenant submitted work orders. Uh, we're looking at vacancy rate and time to turn. Uh, on an accounting side of things, we're looking at delinquency. We're looking at postings. And our state postings have changed a lot for non-payment of rent or non-compliance. So we track how long those are open and sitting for. Uh, and then from utilities, we're tracking, you know, how many bills that our company is having to pay, uh, vacancy for utility bills, and, of course, tenant delinquency is when it comes to utility bills. Are you guys an EOS shop? Yes. How long have you been on that? Gosh, I would say successfully three years. Okay. So the numbers that you just listed out, those are being reviewed in your weekly L10 scorecard? Yes. Okay. And who is on the leadership team? Yes. So we have the department head of marketing, maintenance, leasing, accounting. Then we have Lyle, Paul, and I. And then we have a department head of our real estate team. Um, there's nine of us. Nine of us on the leadership team. And those folks are meeting weekly as well as meeting quarterly. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, what makes for a great L10 meeting versus a weak L10 meeting? Mm -hmm. I think energy. Um if we go into the meeting, you know, kind of being like, oh, we're meeting, not excited about it, like the whole energy is affected by the group. I would say another thing that really affects our meeting success rate is squirreling. We have like three people on our leadership team that are big squirrelers, and we have, you know, three people that like hate the squirreling. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no energy and to the point, and I think a big portion of that as well is when we get to our like issues and opportunities section, that like solving, that collaborating, we always feel like we have a good successful meeting when we get a bunch of those knocked off, everybody had a chance to, you know, input on them. And what about the actual running of the meetings? Have you guys worked with a professional on the outside previously or at any point in time? We did, yes, for the first... We've been running it ourselves for the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. And so at first we would trade off where like every member of the team would facilitate a meeting, which wasn't bad. It just wasn't as high level hitting because not everybody is, you know, has that 
key skill Gifting. to facilitate. Yes. Um, and then we moved to, we really have two facilitators. So usually I will facilitate or Billy, our maintenance manager, will facilitate. We're just very much, I don't know, hold people accountable a little bit more, direct it. So usually that's been a little bit more successful for us. What's the case to be made for EOS in your mind for somebody running a shop that's maybe read the book, heard about it ad nauseum? Like if you're paying attention to this podcast, you would have heard about it 10 plus times where you're an EOS shop. Yes. I see value there. For you, how would you describe the value for the uninitiated? Yeah, I think EOS made a huge difference for us. You know, it really forced us to outline our like mission, vision, our goals for the company because Lyle and Paula have always had goals, but it's been very internalized where not everyone knew what the goals of the company were. So it really helped us kind of move forward. Also with that, you know, we had to get down and outline everybody's job position on our organizational chart, which helped provide clarity for our staff. And then with that, we got the first year that we were on EOS with an official implementer was like our most successful year of project initiatives. Like we had never until that point gotten so much done, you know, felt like we had made huge leaps and bounds without EOS. Otherwise, you know, you would assign a project to someone, it'd take a whole year. With EOS, we were doing projects within three months at a time. You could feel the velocity almost immediately yes. speed up? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Got it. Okay. So when you're in those meetings day to day, and when you're specifically in your L10 meetings, if you feel like that the vibe is off, how do you get it back on track? Like if you are observing that it's not quite going right, how do you in the moment course correct? It's usually bringing attention to it and hopefully it course corrects. Lyle will also be like, you know, I don't think we're all prepared. Let's go ahead and end and we'll regroup next week. So sometimes if they're really not on point, we'll just break. But yeah, bringing attention to it or people will very honestly rate the meeting at the end. And so we have a rule. If you rate less than an 8.5, you have to share why. <laughs> so kind of holds people accountable in that sense, too. Less than 8.5. That's <laughs> got to be like... Um, to me, anything above an 8.5 is a really good meeting. Mm. Yeah. So you must like regularly get candid feedback, presumably then. Yes. Our, our staff is, a lot of us on the leadership team have been there at a minimum like five years. So we are very familiar with each other. So it's it's been easy to be like, yes, super honest with the feedback on the meeting and those ratings because everybody is very high level and <laughs> wants to get the most out of it. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about property management, what would it be? I think the intense legislation and regulation. Obviously, our industry is regulated. It's super important. You know, we're providing housing, and I get all of that. I think where my problem comes from is regulating like the success of the property management company in terms of profit like we're talking junk fees we have fees now or limits now on fees that we can charge in our states regarding pet fees regarding third-party markup fees resident benefits package fees so it, it creates a sense of fear of how are we going to be successful as everything continues to get cut and cut and cut from us and then also of what's next. So I think if if I could change, I would I would adjust that. I don't think there's any other industry that tells you how much money you're allowed to make. And if you make any money, you have to disclose every single dollar of it. 
you know, if I asked 100 people that question, that would probably be pretty high on the list <laughs> is changing the regulatory environment. Yes. It makes sense. Taylor, I'm really excited for what you're doing, what you're building, and I appreciate you sharing your journey and just being candid with where you're at. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Until next time. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can check out other episodes along the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, appreciate to subscribe. Any comments, I'm always here to engage. If you're listening on an audio platform, would really appreciate a review. It's a great way to help other people find out about the show.